Broadcasting from USA Swimming's headquarters at the Carolyn Dirks Building in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set. Join three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel and U.S. National Team Director of Performance Matt Barbini as they host members from the USA Swimming community, ranging from age group to Olympic levels of the sport. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Kickstart Podcast. My name is Matt Barbini. I'm the Director of Performance for the USA Swimming National Team, and joining me as always, this time, slope side is three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel. Beisel, give us a, uh, a quick report from Steamboat. All right, snow report from Steamboat is 10 out of 10, amazing, amazing. Fresh pow all day today. I got in about an hour ago, and... Barbini, I know this is bold, but it's probably the best boarding day I've had of my life. Wow. Do you board ski? Ski. I ski. Okay. Yeah. I can do both, but I, I mostly ski and I am tired of bouncing off my butt anymore. I'm <laughs> that is the one complaint that I have about snowboarding is every yeah. time I get off the lift, I have to sit down, strap in and go. But you, yeah. I think if anybody listens to this and you're a skier or a boarder, Barbini and I were just saying, the conditions are incredible. Come out to Colorado, hit Colorado Springs. If you can say hi to the USOPC and Barbini and make it a big trip. It'll be great. Yeah. And it's been an epic start to the season. If you guys wanted to skip the Colorado Springs piece, I wouldn't blame you. I'm not sure if our office quite holds up to the Steamboat Springs uh, experience, but you can, maybe you can catch Basel on these next couple of days before she leaves. <laughs> I know like really quick flight, but I will say the USA swimming offices are absolutely stunning. Um, they've been recently redone and yeah. it's just amazing the work that they've done there. So you have a yeah. really cool office. We do. We do. And if you have to go to an office, ours is a pretty good one to go to. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so the last time I saw you, we were standing on a blue carpet, um, talking to lots and lots of national team athletes. Um, what have you been up to since then? How are your holidays? Everything good? Yeah, things were awesome. I actually got my yoga teacher training certificate. So I'm technically, I can be a yoga teacher now. I'm not a yoga teacher yet. I've never done it, but, um, I'm certified to, which is super exciting. Um, but yeah, now I'm just kind of traveling around waiting for like secs and NCAAs to start up. I'll be doing that with ESPN. Um, so I'll be like popping around swim meets, um, here and there. How about you? Yeah. Nice. Should we make this a skiing and yoga podcast now until know, the swim season gets kicked off? Two of yeah, my favorite I mean, this, things in the world. <laughs> this is kind of a, uh, if there is such a thing as the sort of the, the down period in a season for us. So we finished the Knoxville pro swim uh, about two weeks ago and that was great. Um, really good start to the season. Um, it's always, it's good to get back to sort of that uh, that like in-season racing and see our, where everybody's at after kind of the championship and the 2022 season wrapped up at short course worlds, which was, which was really fun. Um, and now we're, we're off on the national level until, uh, March in Fort Lauderdale, which will be awesome. It's a brand new, uh, hall of fame pool down there. So that'll be a, a really cool venue right on the beach. Definitely a little more my speed than these indoor pools, <laughs> Every, yeah. a little bit more everybody's speed than these indoor pools, but yeah, everything's good. We're, we're kind of just in the, that, uh, that little in-between period before we get back to it. Um, yeah. It's, it's so exciting to look forward, especially with it being a pre-Olympic year. I yeah. like, I can't believe that we're already there. Um, and speaking of that, you know, our guest kind of knows something about Olympic years and pre-Olympic years. I'll let you do the intro, Barbini. You're better at it than I am. 
You can embarrass does, although, her for us. Yeah, yeah. I, it's our job to make them blush. We like to read their resume. Exactly. Uh, uh, so our, our guest today is, uh, is one of the best athletes we've had on this show and one of the best athletes this country has ever had uh, is Katie Hoff. She's a two-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist, eight-time world champion. Um, she's a former world record holder and a current American record holder, which is wild to still hold that record. That's one of the older American records that we have in the 400 IM. Um, and she's also an author um, with the book out currently um, and is running her own business with her husband and has a lot going on. And we're super excited to talk to her. Katie, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Kickset podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Awesome. Um, all right. So let's just do a quick like set of where you're at right now. Like you post-swimming career, many of the people listening here may not have heard as much from you as they did during swimming. So where, what's going on in your life? Where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I kind of fell off the face of the earth earth when I retired. So it's been a minute. Um, but yeah, so I am currently, uh, yeah, I have a business with my husband, Todd, it's called Synergy Dryland. Um, so that's actually been going on kind of the birth of it was during COVID. And, um, we now work with some teams on the dry land side of things, which has been really, really fun and cool because it's brought me back to the sport in a totally different way than I would have ever imagined. Um, but been really fun to be a part of these teams. I've, I've been going, my husband went to his first meet with at me out me two weeks ago at Knoxville, which was weird. So weird. I was like, Oh, you're just cool. You just hang out with everyone without me. Um, but just got to go back to Nashville. And it, it's been just truly amazing to be back in the swimming world and the swimming community back with my friends and, and, and team old teammates. And, um, so that piece has been really fun. Um, I've been doing some public speaking as well. Um, so traveling around for that. Um, and I do some advocacy work. Um, I work with Anari medical and the national blood clot Alliance, um, around, so, sorry, around exposure and awareness, uh, for blood clots, DBTs, um, which has been very rewarding. Um, cause it's, the thing that ended my career, which was a pulmonary embolism. So, um, can you talk a little bit about the journey from your pulmonary embolism to retiring, to stepping away from the sport for a little bit? Because I find it so interesting. Like I've been in your shoes where you walk away from the sport and you're kind of like, maybe I need some space. Who am I? I'm no longer Katie Hoff, the swimmer. How do I deal with that? And on top of that, you're dealing with like real life health issues. Um, and you kind of turned it into such an incredible thing and coming back into the sport many years later is admirable. It was probably very scary. In fact, I know it was for you. Um, can you just talk <laughs> about that journey like a little bit, because I feel yeah. like it, it would shining a light on that will probably help a lot of people, regardless of what level they swam at and, you know, finding out who they are once they're done swimming. Yeah. I, yeah, I think any way you go out of a sport, right. Whether it's on your own terms, whether it's an injury, whether, you know, other variety of other factors happen, it's not going to be easy. You know, having, having some, I've never had an injury in my life and the only injury, right. Or something that's an injury, right. Was, was having a pulmonary embolism, um, which for those of you who don't know what that is, cause I didn't before I had one, um, essentially is you have a blood clot, um, and it can usually starts in your leg and it, and it travels and mine traveled to my right lung. Um, so I was making a comeback for 2016, actually really enjoying the sport again. And, um, 
essentially went misdiagnosed for seven weeks and had two blood clots in my lung. I was at nationals competing, you know, had to obviously draw out um, because it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, to speed things up, I finally got a diagnosis and, you know, very fortunately survived. 100,000 people die a year from this, which is insane that more people don't know about uh, pulmonary embolism. Uh, but because of the scar tissue buildup in my lungs, they were in there so long, um, it made it so that, you know, kind of need your lungs for swimming. So having, having that just decrease in lung capacity made such a difference. And I just kept really struggling. Um, and I finally ended up deciding to just close the chapter on my swimming career in 2015, December of 2015. And because it happened not of my own, right. And not of my own will, I felt like I was kind of forced into this decision um, it was really tough. And I actually, I mean, I don't recommend this, right? Like I kind of just shoved everything down. I was like, I, I, swimming's too painful. I'm just going to go, you know, become, I'm just going to go into business and I'm just going to go in an entry level job. And I'm just going to like become this like corporate person and like, just prove myself. Like I wanted no one to know anything about my swimming background or anything. Um, and so just, you know, obviously anyone like being ripped out of something that is your, I mean, it's your safe place. It's your community. It's, it's everything you knew for 20 years, um, was, a, was a really tough time and depressed anxiety, right. Just all the above. And, um, really took me, I mean, it took me probably five full years before I, I mean, did things here and there and, you know, would do a clinic or do different things. But um, five years before I kind of made this turning point and it was actually, I was asked to do a TEDx talk um, and, and tell my story. And it was kind of the first time I was like, I'm just going to, first of all, I said, yes, not knowing like how intense a TED talk is and then realized it like, like a month out. And I was like, my husband Todd was like, uh, are you nervous? Like, do you know? And I had no idea. Like people get speech coaches for this. I just like went for it. And I decided to very, very vulnerably tell my story and, and tell, like, I always felt like if I shared my story and shared the ugly parts too, and maybe some of the, the, you know, tough times that it was almost negative, um, which is actually the opposite, right? Like everyone goes through it. Everyone has, has tough times, adversities. And so, um, I got a standing ovation and it was just kind of this moment of like, wow, like people actually want to hear my story. And, and this could be, this could make my, everything that's happened to me make sense. Right. I always say that like you can have your story make sense and have it come full circle and be like, oh, okay. Like that was a really sucky situation, but that's why that happened. It was because of this. And that was for me, you know, really, really where I decided to, um, it still took me another, a little bit after that. I still have to keep hitting my head against the wall, but you know, I decided to then write a book and decided to pursue speaking more. And it was just this very cathartic experience. Um, and right around the same time COVID hit. So launching a book in COVID, not awesome, but I, I found this passion of, um, you know, talking to kids and then, um, kids couldn't be in the pool anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sweat it out online with uh, a webinar series that Bizel was a part of and offered free 10 weeks of free sessions, kicking my own butt on a live screen two times a week, uh, every Tuesday and Saturday and realized like, wow, there's really a need for this in the swimming community. And when kids went back to the pool, they were swimming faster and they felt stronger and it was so rewarding. And I kind of found like my, just my purpose and my why again, which was helping the next generation. So that was a really long-winded answer, but that's five years, 10 years of catching up. <laughs> Katie, when you 
when you came out of that, when after you gave this speech and you sort of was, did you feel like it was a, you sort of gradually came back to yourself and acceptance and putting that anxiety and depression behind you? Or was there like a single like catalyst where you were just like, bam, okay, I'm back. Now I sort of like, what I'm going to start the book and I'm going to start like reaching out. Like what was sort of the, that you said it still took a little while after giving that talk. Like what was that? Like once you sort of the dawn sort of cracked a little, what was the process like to get to where you are now? Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I wish that it was just like a bam, like I'm all set now. It was not like that. I mean, I, I definitely, so I stayed, I was still like doing, I was still in the corporate world. I I worked for a fitness company. Um, and I mean, I ended up, they offered me and my husband a promotion. And so this is, I was at Chicago, I was in Chicago at the time. And then they offered to move us and promote us and we moved to New York. So I was still kind of like, yeah, like I need to do this, but I don't know how to do this. And like, what does that look like? And so I I had this moment and it's shockingly, like we moved and like a month later, I was like, I still hate, I hate what's going on in my life right now. Like I'm so not fulfilled. I'm so not happy. Um, and, and honestly, just, I think the overwhelming and huge credit to Beisel because she, she had just, I think you were just about to, you were just about to launch your book and publish your book. And I, I just, didn't even know where to begin. And I also didn't even know if I was ready to relive these really painful moments because I had tried to write a book throughout those five years. I tried to write a book probably 17 different times and failed every single time because I wouldn't go there. Like I'd either start writing something and I'd start crying or like, I just would be too surface level. And I'm like, wow, I really need a, I need a shockingly, like I need a coach to write my book. Like, just like I need a coach in swimming and the ghostwriter that I found very luckily, like pushed me, like I would say certain things and he'd be like, no, like you're not, you're not going, you're not going deep enough there. And it was very emotionally difficult, but my whole thing was like, I I don't want to put out a story or a book if it's just like happy fluff, right? Like I wanted to be extremely real because that's the only way that sharing your story can help someone, right? And just, it's the only way to do it. And so I, I don't think you, the frustrating and best thing about life is like, you can't speed it up. Like I couldn't have been like, oh, I'm just ready a year after I retire. Like it, it was just, it happened that that was the moment when I was ready. And then I still had ups. I mean, throughout the book, like Todd, my husband would come home and be like, what year are you in? Cause he could tell by my mood. He's like, you're definitely in 2009. <laughs> you know, like he just, <laughs> it, it was really tough. And then even, even after that, I think it's really, I'll be honest, it really has not been until since the last year that I feel like, okay, like I'm in a really good spot. I feel like I've, you never make it. I saw my days, but like, I feel like I've kind of come into my own of feeling confident and feeling good and feeling like I have a really good path with the things I have going on. Um, so, I mean, we're on year, what, since I retired, like year seven, year eight, um, that I really got to the point where I didn't have as, it didn't start looking like this. Cause up until then it was a lot of that. And I just kind of kept having to keep moving, keep moving, keep fighting through knowing today's just a down day. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. The next day's going to be better. The next day is going to be rock. You know, like it just, you just have to kind of know that that's going to happen and know that if you just keep moving, you'll get to the other side of it. And how incredible is it to know that now looking at everything from like 30,000 feet above, you're okay. And I think yeah. that's like the the best thing that anybody could hear that's listening to this podcast that reads Blueprint, which is the name of Katie's book. Like everything will be okay. And it's normal to have this like up and down trajectory. And I think, I mean, your career was 
unbelievable. Like you were literally labeled the female Michael Phelps. And first of all, that is not easy ever. I've never been in the spot like that, like that. I don't know if Barbini has, maybe he has a secret famous life that we don't know about. <laughs> I've never been labeled the female anything. So no, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be the female Matt Barbini. I'm trying to be as there good you as go. yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> your career started, you were so good at such a young age and stayed so incredibly fast and relevant for so many years. I mean, take us back to, okay, first Olympic team, you're in Athens, 2004. I know it's a lot to unpack, but how beautiful like your trajectory was from there until like your world record, like your four. I always remember your 400 IM in Melbourne, Australia at 07 worlds. And can you <laughs> maybe bring us through the highlights of that? Like your fondest memories from basically your top years of swimming. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's crazy. Like thinking back. So yeah, 2000, someone actually said this to me today. They were like, wait, you were, when was your first Olympics? How old were you? Like, by as well, you know, you're 15. They're like, you're 15. And I look back and like, it's so funny now coming away from it and seeing, you know, other kids at 15, just like kids that aren't in sport or it's, and, and thinking back like at the time, I didn't think it was that abnormal. Like I really didn't, right. Think about it. like, I'm on NBAC, like there's the 15 year old, every, every quad. Um, but I think now I look back and I have much more of an appreciation. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I was a child, like a child, you know, and I was definitely more naive. I was homeschooled. So I got, you know, teased a lot for just like literally knowing nothing about anything. Um, but you know, I, I think it, that was a crazy year because I remember going into having a meeting with my coach a year out from Oh four trials and being like, all right, if I can just like, I, I think at the time I had gotten like fourth at nationals that summer, but like all the good people at world championships. So I probably would have been like 12th. Uh, and I remember thinking, okay, if I can just make a final and like 200 IM, 400 IM, get the experience so that 208 is going to be my year. That'd be awesome. And the trajectory was like, I just kept dropping time. And I mean, I think I went from like a four 47 to like a 437, 10 seconds in, in one year. So it's just like each, each meet, I just kept taking up time. I remember Santa Clara that, you know, two, two months up Grand Prix, it's pro series. Now I keep messing that up, by the way, it shows my age, but the Santa Clara Grand Prix, um, I dropped like a 439 and that was like the top time in the nation. And then I remember everyone started being like, uh, you can make the team, you know, and then to go into trials and win both events against, people that, I mean, Amanda Beard, Caitlin Sandino, Maggie Bowen, like I had Maggie Bowen's autograph on my, on an Auburn cap. I was going to Auburn, like she was my idol. Um, and then racing it. And it was just a very weird, surreal experience, um, to then being like, oh, now you have to go race and like go race again and represent team USA. Like you almost don't put the two together, right? You're so focused on making the team. Um, I'd never been out of the country before. I'd never been away from my parents. I'd never even been on a national team. So I had no idea what to expect. So it was just like a very, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know what's going on. And I just remember, um, like, I just remember, remember that meet so fondly because it, it like, obviously the Olympics was a struggle that like wasn't a high point for me. It's just so overwhelmed, but like to go there, I remember like, you know, having my name up on the, um, when they add your name to having the first female name, which is the best thing about the 400 I am, um, and just having Michael be so supportive and, um, like consulting him. Cause the first night I was like, I can't sleep. Like, what do I do? You know, <laughs> like, I just was so, 
so um, just like a little kid, so excited. Um, and then obviously 2004 Olympics didn't go well. I still, still got to race in a final, but um, I just was shell-shocked, like just so nervous. I remember thinking, having kind of a, now knowing what this is, like a bit of an imposter syndrome, like how am I here? Like, you know, Jenny Thompson's the team captain and I had her poster on my wall a year and a half ago. Like, you know, like it was just like so crazy and then to be in a different country and not have my coach. And it was just so many factors. Um, I just, I just, just wasn't prepared and didn't have the confidence. And then that, that the year after was just kind of like my comeback tear. Like, I just remember obviously being wounded, being embarrassed, feeling like I let my country down, having kind of a week of like feeling sorry for myself. And then being like, no, like I'm going to prove like, I am not just a splash in the pan. This didn't, you know, some of fast forward, I am by accident, right? Like it, it, it is, it is here and I'm here. And then breaking my first American record, uh, in 2000 or yeah, 2005 world championships in the 200 I am winning the 400 I am being a part of a winning relay. And that really set the trajectory after that. I was like, all right, momentum. Like I'm, I signed with Speedo right after that for 10 years. Like it was just like, it just kept building that. Like, I just had this confidence in me that I just had this feeling that when I dove in the water, like it was going to go well, like, and I was going to have, have something to, to produce. Um, so but 2005 worlds, 2006 Pam packs. That was, you know, a, a fun me. I just felt like I just kept each meet was just like a little, like picking up a little, like, I don't know, like fairy dust that it was just like, okay, like, all right, cool. Like we're chugging along. Um, and then I, and I always said like, after the, after 04, I was like, I have to conquer this event. Like it is beating me down too many times. Like I just kept, I couldn't, I kept screwing up. Like I'd go out too fast in the, in the fly. I was just like swimming in like an idiot. And to me, like, I always said, like, if I'm conquering event, like conquering event is breaking a world record. Like that is, that is the end all be all. And that was my goal. And I remember going to 2007 worlds, which is my fondest memory of you, Basil. Like, I remember you, you tasted the Vegemite and had like a panic attack and I couldn't keep it together. It made you and Basil, like literally, like, I was like, are we going to have to bring her out on a stretcher? It's literally just Vegemite. And you were like, yeah. It's just salt. <laughs> it's amazing. That's uh, like my memory of world. That's it. But no, I not the I world just, record. Not the world record. Just by by eating Vegemite. But um, but that was such this a is the trip. impact you have on the swimming community. Right. Less, so it's your Vegemite. <laughs> But I mean, that were, I mean, Melbourne, Australia, it was in the Rod Laver arena, which is where the tennis was played. Like, and I mean, swimming is, is royalty in, in Australia. So it was such a fun trip. Like, I just remember, you know, all the other 04, 05, even I was still kind of getting my feet under and I'm still young. Right. So I just felt like I was just like, I mean, I, I, people always mess with me and, and, you know, kind of give me crap for stuff, but I just, I kind of felt like I was like, okay, like I'm having such a blast. This trip is amazing. Day one, when the 200 I am or day two with finals. I, so we go through all the way through the meet. I'm swimming great, but I just remember being like, man, like everyone's breaking world records, Michael, Ryan, like, I just felt so bummed. And I just remember having this like random feeling of calm um, before the 400 I am, which never happens. Like, I feel like Faisal and I call it 400 I am stomach. Like if you walk into the ready room and you're like, I'm so pumped for this race. Like you're, you're lying. <laughs> it's going to be you're so a liar. Late. You're a big fat liar. <laughs> or you're swimming wrong. Like you yeah. do it, but the 400 I am, I will battle to the death to anyone is like the, the feeling of getting a best time breaking a record. It is unparalleled to any other race. Like, and I swum every race 
multiple times at a high level, like I will battle that one to the end. And that's why you do it. But the feeling before is like by far the worst feeling ever. Uh, but I just remember having this feeling of like very calm and like it showed in my race because I was able to be so, so calm going out. Like I think now, like every time some, um, like a big final swims it, all eight of eight people are under American record, like at the 200, like every single time. It's like under American record race, it's a whole heat. Um, but that was my race, right? Like I, I was able to stay calm, swim well, and then just hit it on the breaststroke. And I just remember it's like one of those that you don't, I, don't, I believe you only get a couple of those races in your career. Like you'll have races, you get best times or break records or whatever, but it was just like a, one of those like races that just felt perfect. And it felt like everything aligned and it, it was maybe even less painful than, than normal. And I just, it just, everything clicked. And I think that's why like verse when I did it at the trials in 08, like I still look back on that one more fondly in the way that it felt in the way that I felt before. And it just was just so fun to, to do it in Australia. Let's, so you mentioned, um, sort of that feeling before the race, when you were so young and dropping so much time, did you feel pressure at those O4 trials or was that just like, Hey, I'm here. I'm going to do the best I can, whatever I, whatever happens, like I'm 15, I'm maybe not supposed to make this team. And then is that sort of like that, that transition or that difference between how that felt at trials versus how it felt at the games? Did, do you think that was like kind of a big piece of like your, you're having sort of difficulty at other meets because of that? Uh, I, I wish I could say, I wish I was ha a happy go lucky. Like I always, am so envious of like, I mean, if I you do a great, like I'm ne I actually never forget this, like 2011 world. I remember before the 400 I am you turned around and you smiled at all of us. And I was like, she's set, like, she's good. You know, like, like I, I really struggled with that my whole career. Like, I mean, everyone makes fun of me like this, like pressing my goggles in a million times and like, just like very high strong. And it was always something that I had to work to combat and, and, you know, work through the, the mental side of things. Like I remember, I mean, I screwed up in the prelim cause I was so nervous. I gained 10 seconds in the prelim in 2004 trials. Like, and I bear, I was like seventh go, or sixth going in. Cause I was in lane seven. It's my lucky number because of it. Um, but I had, there was, there was enough pressure going in cause I was ranked first in the country. So it suddenly shifted to, oh, like just go and like make, make trials to people being like, oh my God, like the team, like, I think you're, you know, so I had that, I had that feeling of pressure and that's why I messed up. And the reason that I was then not confident in, uh, in Athens was because I'm like, well, at the Olympic games, like I can't do the same thing that I did at trials. So I put this immense amount of pressure on myself going into, um, the prelims of like, I have to swim it smart. I have to swim it right. I was just, just so worked up and just felt so out of my element. Um, like I actually even remember this vivid memory of getting out. And like, for those of you who don't know, like had this lactic acid was so intense. I got out, dragged myself to the side of the pool and threw up all over the pool deck. And there was like cameras in my face. It was like, literally, and I tell this story to people, I'm like, think about like when you wake up from a dream and you're like, oh my God, like that was the worst. That was a nightmare. It's like, you know, like that actually happened to me. That wasn't like a nightmare. And I remember like, like looking up at Lindsay and Tenko and being like, did I take it out too fast? Like, what did I take it out? And she was like, 104. No, like you didn't. And so I just was just so worked up that I, I just, I feel like I didn't breathe before the rate. Like I just wasn't 
in, I just felt out of body experience. So yeah, like I, I mean, I was throwing up on the, on the blocks and behind races, like when I was 13 year old, years old and like the Turner fly, I was just always a high strung kid. Like that was just, you know, like I get up at 3am by accident and put my suit on because I thought the alarm had gone off, but it hadn't. And then I like went down and got, but you know, so it's just like, I, I actually love talking to kids about nerves because I think that there's some people's temper, everyone gets nervous, but like some people's temperament, I think is a little more easygoing. Some people's temperament are high strung, like, and you just have to kind of work with what you got and, and arm yourself with the proper tools to, to overcome it. Yeah. I was actually just going to say when I do clinics and I'm sure you as well, one of the most common questions is, do you get nervous? How do you deal with it? And for you, how do you deal with it? Like going from Athens, you obviously had to go back to the drawing board and kind of like you learned a lot about yourself and all right, how do I make sure this doesn't happen again? You know, what were those things that you did to lead you towards 2007 and beyond and world records and another Olympic team and Olympic medals? You know, what are you doing before a race to make sure that Athens didn't happen again? Yeah. I, I mean, my main thing is, and I say data, but like, I was doing all these things leading up to Oh four, right? Like I was super militant with times, the process, what I was doing day to day. Like those were the things I, I could never be someone where someone's like, no, no, no. Like just think positive. You got it. Like, that's great. You have to think positive, but I had to be like, no, I've proven that I had this bank of sets that I have hit these paces. Like I, I, I mean, I had a book, like massive book. I had a whiteboard. I would update like, and not just, I always tell kids, they're like, oh, okay. Like, I'm like, so what'd you do today? And they'll be like, oh, well, we just did. Um, it wasn't super, it was like 75 back breast free. And it was like descend. And I'm like, oh, well, how'd it go? They're like, I think good. It was, but they don't know. Right. Like I would know, like, a 25 on your back dolphin kick with one fin on, or, you know, like a hot, not that just kidding, but like 150 back breast. Like I knew down to the 10th for all of these things. And that each day allowed me to be like, all right, perfect check. Today was a success. I can add that to the, you know, and, and when I was nervous and I, I didn't even realize this in 04, but like when I was nervous in 05, the sets that we did, and I always tell the story of the hell set I did, that was just literally, I, it was like, 8,000, 9,000 yards long. It was hell, hence the name, but it was something, it was just like, to give me confidence to know that like, why are you, why are you letting a 400 IM intimidate you? Like you, you do a million of them in practice every day. And it seems like such a, I think it gets thrown around a lot. It's like, be confident because you practice hard. Right. But like, be specific, like be intentional. Like I had to go back and maybe I think another thing that I always tell kids is like, not everyone's the same, right? If you're not a, uh, I hate the word feel swimmer or time swimmer, right? But like, if you gain confidence from mentally, like visualizing your race every morning, great, do that. Like that didn't work for me. I tried it. I experimented with it. I needed, I proved to myself, here are the times. I know I'm on pace. Awesome. Um, and so I think it's just having that self-exploration. But after 04, like, yeah, like I I was on that and I was looking at it before the races and I, that's how I gained my confidence behind the blocks. That's great. Let's talk about the book a little. Um, so you talked a little bit about the process um, and, and then you do a fair amount of speaking about the book. If you were to talk to a group of young swimmers or if they were to read it and come to you with questions, what's the, what are sort of the, the highlights that you point to that you want people to take away from your experience and then what you've tried to translate into the book for them? 
That's a great question. I would say the biggest, the biggest thing I would want people to take away is that, you know, adversity doesn't define you um, and you can overcome it no matter what, like you can get back up no matter what. Um, And I think I try to be very, very honest and vulnerable about things that I went through and just the realness of like, it takes time, right? Like it takes, sometimes you're crying every day and sometimes you're leaning on others and sometimes you have to reach out and sometimes you have to have like this crazy humility that like, you're just not going to make it happen today. Right. Like, I think those are all the things and Faisal talks about this too, is like people look at Olympians and professional athletes, like, oh, they're superhuman and they must not go through these things or they must not be as hard. And the reality is it's just, it just, normal humans that, that have, you know, accomplished extraordinary things. But the reason they're able to do that is, is because they've honed in on that skill of, of how to overcome and how to get back up and how to keep moving. And I think it's very interesting because it's even nowadays, I hear people say like, oh, like husband, I do cold plunges all the time. And like, this is such a small example, but it's like, they're like, oh, I could never do that. I'm like, yeah, you can. Like, they're like, well, you love it. I'm like, you think I love getting in 37 degree water? No, I don't love it. Like it's hell. I hate it. I dread it. I talk myself out of it for like 30 minutes every morning. And then I'm like, ah, get in. Like you're being a baby, you know, like that's just a small example is like anyone can do it. It just has to be worth it. Right. It just has to be um, worth the risk or worth the pain. Uh, And I think that to me is like being able to, there's a lot of people who think that their limit is here um, just because of that's their surroundings, right. That's their environment. And like, that's just not the case. Like, it's just, I grew up in a normal household parents, right? Like just like everybody else. And so if someone can, can read my story and, and realize that I went through some high highs, but some pretty low lows, and I still got back up from it and kept fighting. Um, then I feel like I've, I've done my job in, in my, my story and the message. And I feel like your story in swimming kind of translated into your story post-swimming And I want to talk just like finding your way and working corporate jobs and not feeling fulfilled. And now you said you finally have arrived and that's Synergy Dryland. That's with your husband, Todd. Can you talk about it? Like, tell us how amazing it is to have created something that there was a huge void in the swimming world with this. Um, You know, I think there's something to be said for like, yes, a swim coach is a swim coach, but that does not mean that they know what Dryland is or you know, the human anatomy in terms of like what you should be doing outside of the pool. And so can you just talk about synergy and how rewarding that's been and how good it feels to do that with Todd and to have arrived to something that you're truly passionate about and just happy and excited to do every single day? Oh, love that question. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's been really cool because you know, what's funny is I have, I always said when I stopped swimming, I was like, I could never be an entrepreneur. Like I could never like, Oh my God, there's no way, you know, like I always said that. And I think I always said that because I was like, I'm really good at being coached, right? Like a coach tells me what to do. I'm a robot. I will never disagree. I will put my head down and I will do what you say to a T to the 10th, whatever you want, you know? And, and I was like, that must be, that must be how I'm most successful. Right. And like, I don't know, I'm like 23, but that, that was how I felt like I was programmed and I never really pursued it. And they, people always say, when you create something like it, 
a lot of you hear these entrepreneurial stories of it's just like, oh, it just happened because there was a need and it just organically happened. And I was like, oh, how's that? How's that work? There's no way, you know? And because of how this kind of evolved through COVID of just kind of offering my services, you know, I just didn't, I wanted to give kids something to do, right? Physically do and, and sweat and, and suffer a little bit and, and put everything into it. And oh my God, some days, <laughs> some days I was like, <gasps> So the next set is <laughs> so bad. I saw a video last week of it. It like popped on my drive and I was like, that's a hot mess. Like, how'd you do that for like an hour each time? The light, I lighting, like it was a whole thing. So um, I, and then to, to then realize like, wow, like these kids are getting a lot out of this. And a lot of people don't know. My husband has, I mean, Todd has over a decade of experience of, um, you know, working with different athlete athletes. He was a football player himself. And then, um, actually when I made my comeback, he went, I mean, I asked him, I said, I, I, I would like you to train me on the dryland side. Like, and I think now looking back, he was like, do you know, understand how scary that was? And I was like, Oh, well, you didn't show it, you know, but he went, I mean, he, he's such a, people don't even realize just cause he's like a big guy, but he's such a nerd. Like he's such a data nerd. He's such a research nerd. He's constantly. And, and he went down a rabbit hole when it came to training. And that was kind of his first introduction. So he is definitely like the, he has all the certifications, all the degrees, all like he is the, that piece of it. And I provide this lens of swimming and, and, you know, what, what makes sense and, and kind of the ops side of things and everything. And so we've kind of made this perfect match between the two of us, because I think a lot of the next question, people are like, you have a business with your husband. How does that work? You know? And we definitely have our days, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, we're both very stubborn people and, and, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's really rewarding to see how it's come together. Um, and just, and just see how we're able to support coaches, you know, like Faisal said, like, I, I truly don't believe it's fair that swim coaches have to be an expert in the pool and program all of that. And then suddenly be an exercise, exercise science, you know, geek and expert either. Like it just, it doesn't, what other sport forces that and they have a million other things going on. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just the momentum over the last, I would say even year, uh, has been really cool of just coaches reaching out and it's all happened re referral based organically, me being on a pool deck, like it, you know, I'm not emailing some coaches is it's not the way, right. Some coaches are on deck. And, and so, um, just being able to see some of these kids at junior nationals and we have kids who have trials now and like to be at Olympic trials, you know, crazy how soon it is and, and root these kids on and and make an impact in their life like I couldn't have imagined um what it I couldn't have imagined you know it, it's it's just been really cool and I never thought I was going to be back in the swimming world and like just being on deck at nationals in Irvine last year which is very surreal because that's where my blood clot happened in 2014 was super emotional I was like I remember being like driving up and like how am I going to feel about this. Like, is this gonna be bad? I'm gonna have to work through it. All right. I'll deal with the emotions. And it was, I mean, it was really hard the first couple of days. I definitely had those like feelings, but I pushed through it and, um, yeah, it's just synergy has, has brought kids faster times. And I feel like me into their, their world and their life and different coaches of different philosophies. So it's been really fun to kind of see the other side of things, um, and, and just make this positive impact on the swimming community in a way I literally could have never imagined. So. It's so cool that you're kind of making a second impact on the swimming community. Cause you obviously already made a first impact as an athlete and it's, it's pretty cool to, 
to see you be able to come back and do it again. Um, so you're on the pool deck a little bit more now. You're kind of walking around. Do you ever look at the water and be like, yeah, I could hop in for a little bit? Do you ever swim? Do you ever do any of that? Or is it just like you that part is, is I done? don't. I really don't. You know, I I get yeah. asked that a lot too. I, I actually I by all I use I use you and Caroline as an example. And like I have two friends, they're Olympians. They love the water. Like they love the ocean. They love how it makes them feel. Like that's why they still swim. Like me, swimming was a vehicle to to be the best in the world. Like I don't like I get nothing from the water. To be honest with you. Like I don't. Instead, you jump into like thirty degree <laughs> cold plunges. Well, that's, yeah. but that's a different that okay I get from that I get like yeah like the dopamine spike I get yeah totally totally different but um and I just so I just don't like you know I don't like I'll get in if I have to do a clinic or demo something but I just yeah I don't have that because anything I do is just going to be be like below average <laughs> what I've ever done in my life and uh so I work out a lot in different ways but um I will say that the feelings I do get though, is, you know, when I watch a, a final parade out and I watch people finish and turn around and, and ha- like, it gives me chills to talk about, right? Like I always, I will never not miss that feeling. Like, I don't think any athlete out there would say like, oh, wish I didn't have to do that. Right. Like, it's just such an amazing, it's just such an amazing feeling when you do it. I will say when I watch the four I am before it, I said this to you at trials. I'm like, how happy are you that you aren't about to dive in for a four I was like, oh my God, I've never been happier. <laughs> Like, yes. like, I actually like need to watch more for I am because it gives me this happiness that I'm not doing. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> when we I like, but again, together but then they our... touch and they turn around and I'm like, dang, like that, that's, that's such an awesome feeling. Like, yeah, like, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Like, seriously. <laughs> I like watch them. I'm like, it doesn't look that bad. Like no wonder <laughs> when you watch it, it doesn't look that bad. <laughs> So we're putting together our episode summary. The takeaway quotes are here. The water does nothing for me. And I'm really glad I'm not doing anything. Not Catching doing up with Katie Hoff. She yeah, loves Katie, swimming. Oh, Katie Hoff says. <laughs> it's okay. This is why we don't just cut little clips very often. <laughs> we would never take that out of context. Yeah, yeah. That is how that happens. It's crazy. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Speaking of uh, listeners, Basil, should we do some social kick? Let's do some social kick. All right. So Katie, social kick is questions that are generated from our Instagram account. So these are listeners, readers, whatever, um, that uh, send these in. So um, going back to your swimming career, the first one, these are this is uh, from two different accounts. How do, or I guess, how did you deal with feelings of swimming burnout? Mm. Swimming burnout. Yeah, I definitely went through that a couple of times throughout my career. I feel like number one is you have to be able to go from emotional to logical um, to, to talk through that, right? Like if you're just in that, it's, this is to this day, like present day, like this happened last week. Like if you're emotional, you can't think clearly, you can't make a decision, truly see full scope of what's going on. Um, so I think it's, it's getting with people that you trust and, and it may or may not be your coach, right. Depending on your situation. But if your coach is someone that you can talk to your parents, find the people in your corner that get you and can just let you talk. Like, I think it's so hard and I, I'm not a parent yet, but like, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have a child express, like I'm burned out. I'm not happy with what I'm doing and not want to fix it. Right. And, and I think the best thing to have happen 
And if you're a parent or, or even a teammate, just being, just being someone who can listen and not provide instant, here's what you should do. Right. Cause I, I think my mom did an amazing job and she just listened and let me talk through it so that I could get to logical. Um, so I think just making sure that you cover all your bases and, and, and I think, you know, making a reevaluation of why you feel this way, because sometimes maybe it's the events you're doing, maybe it's your schedule, maybe it's the team you're on, maybe, you know, there's so many different things that, that could be tweaked that could make things better, or maybe it's, it's the goal you have, and it's just no longer your, your undying, like obsessed goal that you have. I think a lot of times, like for me, it's just like, okay, I need to make a pivot or I need to understand um, what I'm doing or what's making me feel this way. Sometimes just talking it out makes you feel better, right? Or just feeling acknowledged makes you feel better. Um, but I would say like, that would be my first step of, of how to handle it and then move forward from there. That's a great answer. Um, okay. So did you, this is from Courtney D. Did you have any pre-race superstitions? Um, I always had to clap three times on the blocks, like really fast. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know if this is a superstition. I just like compulsively had to press my goggles into my face, like 35 <laughs> times. Can I just tell you where that came from? Cause it's not as psychotic. Every time I defend myself, they're like, Brendan Hansen's always just like, yeah, but can we pull the tape? I'm like, I know it's aggressive. I know. But like, I, I used to wear those foam goggles. So like from Speedo. So every time I'd press them in, the foam would just keep pressing in. And so I was like, oh, does that mean it's not, it's not secured? It's not secure. So like, it just came from that. <laughs> and then I just kept doing that. So yeah, I mean, obviously I stopped wearing the foam goggles, but it was just a habit, I think. And then my goggles never, to be fair, they never filled up with water or fell off. So I think if you Google Katie Hoff, 80% of the photos are Katie pressing in her goggles? <laughs> it's actually she's actually not kidding. Everybody listening, go do it right now. <laughs> yeah, and I even was like, was like, like a spike. <laughs> like literally, Brendan last uh, summer was like, yeah, like there's like tape of it. I'm like, no, there's not. I didn't even know that there was footage from Athens, Greece, because it was 2004. And I went, I put it on my on my Instagram because I was like. Oh my God, this is so crazy. I'm like, I look like I'm 11 years old, but it's just me being like, well, you kind of were. Yeah, you, you were that much close to 11 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Didn't have a driver's license at the Olympics. It's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Fine. You don't need to drive there. No. Uh, okay. Uh, Ella P asks, this is really specific um, tips for a more powerful flutter kick. Ah, uh, that's a good one. You can jump I into would, dry land on this if you want. Too. I know, that's, I know. That's a little it's, more here. Yeah. I would say, I mean, it's interesting. I feel like for the longest time, people think like they just need to like, you know, mimic your stroke or mimic your kick, right? To, to work on it, which is actually the opposite. Because if you think about it, like when you're outside the water, there's so many, like gravity is a factor. Like you're not in the water. Like you actually can train your body to mess up your kick or, you know, not get in the right patterns and, and strength there. So I would say, I mean, I felt like my kick got a ton stronger when I strengthened my hips. Like I would finish kick sets and have to actually like physically lift my legs into the car. Um, so I feel like, I mean, there's a ton, there's a ton of stuff we do at Synergy, um, to, to strengthen hips. Um, and so that's, that's a big one, um, that we work on and like, I'm, you know, happy to, to recommend different, you know, any, even something as simple as, um, 
you know, a side side plank with a leg lift. Like that is actually really, really hard. I always struggled at doing that. Um, that's one, but I, I think making sure that your hips are mobile, your hips are open, swimmer hips are always very tight. Like if you can't get into that range of motion, then you're not gonna be able to generate power from that, from that range of motion, right? So um a lot of things we do at Synergy is is interesting because we come in and do an assessment with the team. And it's wild nowadays to see how tight kids are, you know, in their posterior chain and their shoulders and like swimming requires a very specific range of motion. And so, um, those are the things I would tackle first is making sure your, your hips are open and then strengthening from there. Great. All right. Last one. Um, any or best piece of advice for my 11 year old daughter who is a swimmer. This is from Sergio H. Oh, just general advice. Oh my gosh. 11 just best piece of advice, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I would say, I would say this is going to sound like there's a piece to this, but just like staying in the moment and not thinking ahead. Like, I feel like at 11 years old, like, especially right now, I, I am astounded at the amount of pressure with tests and colleges and, and all these things that I don't even feel like we were dealing with back in the day. Um, and so I feel like it takes the fun out of things and you're constantly thinking ahead. And I, I was so guilty of this during my career. Like it was like, next thing, next thing, next thing I'm at the freaking Olympics. And I'm thinking about the next day and I'm not sitting there and being like, I have my name on my cap and I'm here representing my country. And I think you can, you can represent that at, at any age, at any meet, at any part of your life It's just slowing down, like you work your butt off, appreciate you got that cut. You got a best time. You got the best time. Doesn't mean suddenly now you have to go get the futures cut, right? Like have that uh, perspective and have people help you with that perspective because at 11 years old, it's really hard to have that, that maturity and, and understanding of that. But Sergio, like help your daughter have those moments and celebrate it because it goes by really fast. And then it's really hard to, to go back and, and relive it. Right. It's just, you want to have it in the moment. And that doesn't mean that you're not ambitious or you're not thinking. I think I always thought that like, well, if I'm not like next thing, then I'm not being ambitious enough. I don't have drive. No, it does not mean that take a second, be in the moment and enjoy all the fruits of your labor. Fantastic advice for Sergio and his daughter. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the business. Good luck with the book. Good luck with all of it. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. No, no, you are the best. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> thank you, Katie. I'm glad, I hope we do more for you than water, which does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Please we'll have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Katie Hoff. That was an awesome conversation. Basil, you've known her forever, so I'm sure that's exactly what you expected, but that was really one of the best interviews we've done. Oh, absolutely. She's so easy. And, and it's so cool too, because she's been such a great mentor for me, um, but friend as well. Like I was in her wedding, you know, and that's all thanks to swimming and the form that I am. And so it's cool to kind of be full circle with this and see her thrive in the swimming world in such a different way and be happy because I, I was very much so in touch with what was going on when she left the sport. And I knew how tumultuous that was. And to see somebody that was so successful and had so much joy come from a sport to then leave it with such a sour taste is sad. And, and it happens more often than, you know, and so the fact that she's back and 
even just doing this podcast, if we asked her to do this five, seven years ago, she would say no. I, yeah. I guarantee it. Um, so to see how far she's come and she's just an absolute gem of a human. And I feel lucky to call her a friend. So I had, I, I had just started swimming. I'd only been here for like two years in 2014, but I went down to see her and her coach. She was swimming at Miami at the time and uh, to see her and her coach. And I, I mean, I knew who she was, I knew the story. I knew that she at that point still held the world record before Katinka broke it. And I, it, there was just this like undeniable talent that it was like, holy cow, she is going to make this team in 2014. And like, I joked with her coach cause he was kind of flying under the radar at Miami at the time he was a new coach. And I was like, get ready because like, she's going to bring a ton of attention and notoriety to like you and the program. And like, this is a, a huge, uh, going to be a little bit of a culture shift here. And then for her to kind of wash out that season was so like, like I said, I had just started this, like one of the first careers I sort of saw end before it was supposed to in this job and like felt so sad for her and felt sort of like, like we had all missed an opportunity to have her like make this awesome comeback. Um, so yeah, to see where she's at now and the way she can talk about her swimming career and, um, how she has transitioned into this new element of it. Like we said at the end, being able to now make a second impact on the swimming community. And really it's multiple with the, her book and her speaking and her, the advice that she's able to offer, but then also the dry land. It's been, it's really, really cool. So this is, this is one for the scrapbook for us. Oh, for sure. And also to add on to that, Barbini, let's not forget, you mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast, but still, currently holds the American record in the women's 400 IM long course, 431-1. Nobody's touched it yet. And so that is just a testament. And she did that time in 2008. So that record is now, what is that, 15 years old going on? There are not many left. Unreal. No, no. I I, I would even, is it the oldest? I don't know. We'll have to check on that. But it's one of the oldest, obviously. So just, again, has a lasting impact on the sport, um, regardless of what way you look at it. Um, so very, very special person. Yeah, for sure. So looking ahead, um, recently, I'm not sure exactly when this will air, but recently the, uh, trials event schedule went out. Um, we're going to nine days. We've got 17 opportunities for you to, and, uh, everyone to watch us swim at Lucas oil in Indianapolis, um, as a 400 IM or this has got to be weird to see the 400. I am not kicking things off. I was looking at that today when the, when the schedule came out and I was like, oh my gosh, that was actually the best part about trials for me because 400 IM was my event. So yeah. I knew night one, if I was going to the Olympics or not pretty much. And so now it's like on day three, I'm like, oh God, how would I sit through <laughs> all those sessions and not know, you know, it's the best. Like Katie said, getting your name I was first name as well, you know, name slapped on the wall, you're going to the games. And then the rest of trials is kind of just like a breeze. So it'll, it'll be really exciting, but yeah, Barbini, you're going to have your hands full with 17 sessions because (laughs) are you even going to see a hotel room the whole time? You're just going to be on the pool deck the entire meet. (laughs) I mean, I hope, I I hope so. I mean, I think that's the benefit of 17 sessions, right? It spreads the the events out a little bit because for like that work, the workload on that first and for people that don't know my like my actual job is, is performance support. And we do a lot of race analysis and things like that, um, for the national team and trials is our biggest event. We bring in a team of like 15 people and we do these, these enormous analysis breakdowns of every swim, um, for everybody that advances. And then of course, for people that make the team, um, and day one is just 
to be candid, the worst <laughs> there, or it was in the old format. There was so many events and they're long and the analysis of those takes a very long time. Um, and their semifinal events that, that was brutal. Um, we did, we would never be able to go back to the hotel between prelims and finals on day one. And that just sets you off on sort of like a fatigued foot for the rest of the week. So now with this, I mean, we're extending it out over an extra day. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll see the inside of a hotel room this time. Hopefully. This is great. And yeah. We have, you were talking about it, beach, a tier pro swim series on a beach in Fort Lauderdale, March 1st through the 4th. Have you seen the new pool yet? I have not seen it in person. I have heard that it's amazing. I am so excited to see it. And I think it's going to be like, you can't pick a much better setting. Swimming Hall of Fame, beach, like March, like it's sort of spring break time in Fort Lauderdale. Like this is going to be a blast. What more could you want? Barbini is going to be heaven. I'm so excited for you. Yes, this is my, I am a as even though I'm from Boston and live in Colorado, I mean, like died in the wool warm weather person. So like slap me right out there in the sun and yeah, you're the same. Yeah. yeah. So really excited about that one. Um, if you're looking for tickets, you can go to usaswimming.org slash events. And that would also be where you go to see um, all the, the rest of the event info and the rest of the calendar we've got coming up. Basel, good luck with the broadcast stuff you've got coming up. SECs is the next thing you've got going. Yep, SECs and then uh, NCAAs, both men's and women's. So exciting Sweet. next couple months for all of us. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, hopefully we'll see you down the road uh, somewhere on a pool deck soon. And as always, thank you for being the best co-host there is. Really appreciate you. Barbini, you are the best. Get home, drive safe, and I will uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to KickSack with USA Swimming. Head to usaswimming.org for more episodes and make sure you subscribe to KickSack wherever you get your podcasts.